Welcome to the CSBS podcast, the podcast series of the Center for Social and Behavioral Science at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. The purpose of the podcast is to showcase our researchers, give voice to our community, and if we can, have some fun along the way. We are researchers, practitioners, and all-around social and behavioral science nerds. We're glad you're here for the journey. The following is a conversation with Dr. Sanjay Patel, professor of electrical and computer engineering and a founder of several startup companies. In this episode, we discuss entrepreneurship and the challenges that come with trying to bridge the gap between research and marketable products with real world impact. In this episode, Sanjay tells the story of how he and his fellow colleagues at the university founded Personify, a company specializing in artificial visual background technology. Additionally, this episode dives into how digital innovations, such as the university's Rockwire platform, on which the Safer Illinois app was created, must address a new wave of concerns regarding data privacy, security, and information sharing. Our conversation dissects if these digital platforms we use respect ethical boundaries regarding privacy. So Sanjay Patel, thank you so much for joining me today. Really excited to learn more about your experience um, with computer scientists, your interests, and, and talk about the Rockwire project. Thanks, Pete. Uh, thanks for inviting me. It's great to be here. And uh, I'm, I'm very curious about the way this conversation will go. I have no expectations at the moment. It's usually the way we like to do it. And... Um, I'm actually really uh, interested in, in understanding your past background and history with computer science. Um, you know, I think everyone has those kinds of moments where, you know, they start to realize that this is what's going to be, you know, the thing that they're um, going to pursue later down the line. It just kind of garners their interest. Uh, what, what got you interested in computer science and the particular area that you're in now? You know, maybe Pete, uh, I would say, I don't know what area I'm in. Uh, but, you know, for me, it, it feels like I, I get continually distracted by shiny objects. And, you know, the world of computing, I think we can all appreciate, is rife of shiny objects. So it feels to me like my career, since I, you know, decided to become a computer scientist, uh, 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 I've just gone from one thing to another uh, over the years, uh, but I got my career started, you know, as an academic here at the university, uh, primarily working on chip design, hmm. uh, which, you know, the fairly esoteric, uh, very deeply technical uh, domain. And I spent a lot of my early career, academically at least, uh, building chips, uh, architecting chips, uh, which uh, was incredibly fascinating to me at the time. Uh, and then I proceeded to get distracted. And then from then on, it's been one uh, thing after another. Uh, uh, yeah. So it sounds like chips were your, your first love there, though. Chips were my first love. They, they uh, uh, you know, that they got me into uh, essentially an academic career where I was pretty successful. Uh, uh, and then uh, from there, uh, I don't know, we can talk about the various distractions, which I think we will, uh, but that's, that's what it's been for me. 
Yeah, actually, I would love to hear about these various distractions. I, I feel like uh, everyone kind of goes through some level of, of distraction, but let's let's talk about the various shiny objects that that you've uh, <laughs> been been running towards. Um, can you tell us some? Yeah, in fact, um, <clears throat> I um, uh, early part of my academic career, I uh, helped a few friends start a company. Hmm. Um, uh, that was loosely associ associated with my research, again, in chip design. Uh, so I actually ended up taking a leave from the university at the time uh, to join their company and help them get started. And uh, that sort of opened up a, a realm for me uh, that was less focused on academic research uh, and more focused on uh, translation, like actually taking technology uh, that say researchers would develop at universities and bringing them into the commercial world uh, hmm. by really you know embodying the research uh, uh, building a prototype and eventually building a product uh, so this you know particular company uh, that my friends had started uh, was in the chip business um, uh, for doing physics simulations um, that company eventually got bought um, by a company called NVIDIA, which is a, a, a big company now in the chip space. Yeah, I've heard of them. Uh, yeah, <laughs> anybody who's uh, you know done work in AI or cryptocurrency has probably heard about them, or graphics for that matter, uh, has heard about them. But they're a big company, or our company got acquired by them. And that really started uh, a thread for me around technology commercialization. Um, so I came back to the university at that point uh, and proceeded to start a company, a new one, in an area I knew nothing about, uh, computer vision. Huh. Again, you know, that was the shiny object for me at the time. So I ended up creating a company with a few colleagues here at the university um, that focused on what ultimately became something that everyone knows about at this point. Um, so if you you know go to a Zoom call and you decide to change your background, that virtual background technology is what we created at Personify before it became popularized uh, by Zoom. Uh, so Personify did that amongst a few other things. Uh, we were very innovative in the in the whole uh, video realm. Uh, again, bringing this deep technology, this AI technology, artificial intelligence technology into the video conferencing realm at the time. Hmm. Uh, so that company, I ran it uh, for about 10 years and eventually ended up selling it. Uh, uh, actually, a few years before the COVID uh, epidemic, which essentially turned the whole world onto Zoom and virtual backgrounds. But uh, that got its start at Personify, I'm happy to say. Huh. So I, it's always so fascinating to me when I learn about academics like yourself who managed to take on this entrepreneurial lens into their work. And is that like a common thing for folks who are in um, electrical engineering? Um, computer science, um, engineering in general. I, I mean, obviously, I'm more of a social scientist, so we don't really get that 
that entrepreneurial um, spirit, I think, is often. But I'm also not sure about that. Well, you know, I think one key difference is that, you know, the, the electrical engineering, computer science realm are just so topically relevant for the commercial world. Mm. The, the commercial world is so hungry for the technologies that many people are creating. So there's just a natural, let's call it uh, closeness between the stuff that, uh, you know, my engineering colleagues work on and what draws, uh, uh, you know, venture capital and startup companies uh, to form around those ideas. Um, but that said, I think, you know, academics, I, I think it's rare. I, I would consider it rare to find an academic who is really, um, who, who can succeed in, in the entrepreneurial world because the worlds are very different, even in the engineering domains. Right, right. Uh, you know, because re research requires a dedication, uh, a commitment that's, that's, that's different, say, than what you need to do in order to bring something to the market. Right, right. And so um, what would you say have been, as someone who's uh, been unusual, I guess, then, uh, what have been some of your biggest learning points and successes in kind of navigating both the academic and the industrial institutions? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's they're, they're very different worlds, even though they share, you know, let's call it a technology backbone. Uh, um, it, it's a different type of people, a different type of skill, a different attention to detail. Um, but again, linked by that common technology backbone. Um, so I think if you're going to embrace the, the world of the entrepreneur, you sort of have to be ready uh, for anything and just be up for it and have the energy. Uh, I'll give you a very concrete example. Um, you know, raising money uh, to fund a company, which mm. you have to do in order, uh, you know, to create a, a, a technology venture. Uh, versus raising money for a grant. The processes are very different. Yeah, um, mm. you know, the, the writing a grant, um, uh, anyone who's in academia has done it. It's a process, there's a review. It's uh, very equitable and fair, I would say, uh, for the most part. Whereas the magic for raising money for, from a uh, from an investor, uh, there's a little more salesmanship involved uh, hmm. and a promise for the future, which uh, I think some of that tends to get muted or maybe say uh, differently presented in the way we write grants. Hmm. So uh, it's a, a different mindset. It, it feels very different to me, at least. Did you have any... Um notable growing pains in trying to uh, hone that business acumen coming from an academic background? That's a good question. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'll say it a little humbly. Uh, you know, I ran Personify for about 10 years. And for me, it was a 10-year <laughs> uh, apprenticeship in becoming an entrepreneur. 
So it was 10 years of mistakes that ultimately I felt like, wow, uh, boy, I really failed at that. I want to do it again because I know how to do it. <laughs> at least yeah. I know some mistakes not to make this time around. Yes. And what's like an example of a, a typical mistake or, or one that was a, a central one uh, that you, you learned from? Oh boy, let's see. Um, well, let me let me think about one that's I would say notable. Um, you know, it's maybe this one. I feel like I wish I had uh, absorbed longer or uh, earlier. Uh, but sort of being customer centric, knowing who your customer is, hmm. um, and it matters. And there's a lot of you know, as a technologist. Um, we tend to think that the technology itself is all that you need. Uh, hey, look, I can change the background on my Zoom call. Uh, look at how cool I am that I'm, I've created the technology to do that. Uh, but in order for that to mean anything to the customer, uh, you really need to adopt the customer's perspective because they don't really care about the technology but they care about the solution, the, the problem you're solving for them and how, how easy it is for them to use that solution. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of detail there, uh, how you present the solution, how you uh, market the solution that I thought was, e would have been easy to learn, but it's actually very hard. Uh, were, th were there any like particular moments where you fully appreciated how hard it was? Well, designing a product, uh, uh, yeah, you know, uh, let, 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 again, you know, taking a simple thing like uh, changing your background. Uh, that was the thing that we developed at Personify initially anyways. Well, how do you put that into a product that anyone would care about at the time? Hmm. Now, this was, you know, about eight years ago. Uh, and people were not doing Zoom calls eight years ago. In fact, Zoom uh, was just barely a company at that time. Uh, in fact, I knew Zoom from the very beginning uh, because, you know, we were interacting in the same spaces, uh, uh, you know, so uh, we knew of them and they knew of us. Um, so how do you take this, you know, technology that the world isn't ready for and uh, create a product around it that people would want to use uh, and then figuring out who would want to use it. And, uh, you know, so building that product where there's a user interface and a way for people to get updates and deployments. Do you put it on a laptop? Do you put it on a mobile phone? Do you, you know, all those decisions were, were very tricky. Um, and then motivating a team to actually build that product uh, and iterate on that product um, were, were also essential. And so who was the customer at first? Or were you not sure about the customer? We didn't know. We had no idea. <laughs> uh, uh, but we ended up landing uh, a very big corporate customer uh, that decided, hey, this particular uh, tool, let's call it a tool that Personify had developed, was instrumental for the way they did sales. Uh, 
because they were often yeah. often run their sales meetings, you know, with potential customers uh, online through uh, uh, a, a product at the time called WebEx, which you know was a precursor to Zoom. And uh, so their entire team ended up using Personify's product to make better virtual sales presentations. Hmm. Uh, you know, basically what they were doing is putting the PowerPoint that they were sharing as their background. And they found that to be really effective for wow. whatever they were trying to accomplish. Um, so luckily they found us uh, and that one initial success took us to get more and more commercial successes from there onward. Got it, got it. And so yeah. now, um, one of the shiny objects that I understand has caught your attention is this little thing called Rockwire. Uh, can you tell us what it is and, and how did you get in st uh, get started with it? Yeah, Rockwire, I think, uh, has, has an incredible potential. Um, the Rockwire project actually started uh, Back in 2018, I think that's when it started. Uh, it was before I got involved with it uh, because of an initiative started by uh, the provost um, and uh, a fellow named John Paul and uh, Bill Sullivan, who's both of them are professors. Uh, John Paul is a, a clinical professor uh, in the College of Engineering and Bill, Bill Sullivan, a professor of uh, landscape architecture who's been with the university uh, some 30 years or so. Um, uh, the idea of Rockwire is, was really at the time, the initial uh, point to kind of modernize the way uh, the university IT infrastructure is organized so that we can be more nimble about creating digital experiences hmm. and tools for the community, the campus community. Um, and to understand why this is important, I think uh, requires us to really take a look at, you know, the way the university IT, uh, infra uh, information technology infrastructure uh, kind of evolves. Um, it's, you know, it's a large, we've got, you know, about 50,000 people that are part of the university. Some of them are employees, faculty, staff, and some of them are temporary visitors, uh, hmm. our students, our, you know, alums that come. Right. Uh, so the needs of the, of the university are very, very diverse um, from an information perspective. So the systems the university had created over time were very, very disparate and isolated and siloed. And by the way, the same is true at every university. It's not just University of Illinois, really. Uh, and probably true at cities and communities and uh, uh, you know, where there is a civic information infrastructure. Anyways, uh, you know, these are uh, aging technology infrastructures where it's really hard to modernize them and very expensive. Hmm. So the idea of Rockwire was to essentially build a bridge that connects the old to the new in a very cost-effective way so that 
organizations like the university can create uh, modern uh, contemporary digital tools, like let's say an app for students or an app say to manage COVID hmm. in a way that can be done very nimbly and rapidly and at very low cost. Hmm. And so when you, when you think about building these technologies, you mean like things like apps? Apps are one. Yeah, absolutely. It's very expensive to develop an app. Hmm. Uh, and if your infrastructure, yeah, you know, has pieces that are 20, 30, 40 years old, which is not uncommon at universities and cities, then it's even more expensive because hmm. you have to take that data that's stored in an old system in some corner of the campus and pull the data out in a way that, you know, uh, uh, that can be done effectively, uh, convert that data into a form that the app wants to use, and then present it in a way that the user feels is a modern way of presenting that. Mm -hmm. uh, let's make that concrete. Let's say it's, uh, you know, like the uh, employee record for uh, an employee, uh, an employee app. We, we don't have one of those at the university, but let's say we did. Um, so, you know, employees at the university can easily check uh, their appointments, uh, their uh, various various information that may, be, that may be relevant, right? To pull all that together requires aggregating data from these old uh, data stores in a way that's responsive to the user, to the mobile app. Uh, to do that would take time, effort, uh, and integration to these legacy systems. That's what Rockwire does, is just uh, to make that very easy and very modern. Got it, got it. And, and just in case asking our audience to, to nerd out over academic infrastructure uh, technology, um, and what are the applications you see for Rockwire in more of like a, a city, like a non-university city? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, coming back to it, right? The idea here is um, the Rockwire platform is open source, so that uh, uh, all these you know pieces, these connectors, as we call them, that connect the old systems to these new apps hmm. and new digital experiences. Uh, that a city or a campus might want to build. Um, so that's what Rockwire is, just a collection of these connectors and building blocks, as we call them. Uh, so now a city that, let's say, wanted to create uh, some kind of digital tool, uh, let's say, to so that people can more easily pay their parking fees. I don't know. I'm just trying to pull something out, right? Right. Um, um, that app, you know, you sort of adopt the Rockwire infrastructure, uh, you kind of weave it in to your legacy systems, like maybe your, uh, you know, GIS database that shows you where all the parking meters are. Uh, and then your, uh, you know, your credit card payment scheme and this and that. And now you can build an app through the Rockwire interface uh, with UI elements without having to spend a lot of time and effort and money to make that happen.
Interesting. Interesting. And the way I understand it too, is that Rockwire in doing all of this has had a particular focus on, on privacy. And I want to separate and unpack that because it seems to me like everyone talks about privacy. Like everyone is talking about how, oh, your data needs to be secure. And oh, like when you download an, you know, a new app or something, it, you know, you maybe see a screen that says, oh, blah, 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 we do this. And this is our privacy statement. And sometimes they'll simplify it for you. And they'll say, here's what our privacy statement means for, for you. But my understanding is that, again, you guys have had a real focus on, on privacy. Uh, can you tell me like what makes Rockwire's focus on privacy um, unique? That's a great question, uh, Pete. Um, right, we have to come back to the, the Rockwire audience, mm. um, campuses, communities, cities, where there is some pub. There are public users. You know, a, a student or a visitor to campus is a is not a not an employee. Uh, they're voluntarily using the platform. Uh, their data doesn't need to be shared in a way that, uh, you know, doesn't deliver them value directly. So, the, so we have to be, let's call it stewards hmm. of their data and hmm. put their interests first above all others. So, and, and that's, I think, the difference in perspective over, hmm. say, uh, a platform like a social media platform, right. where uh, okay, you, you, they're using the the, platform, the social media platform voluntarily, but the idea is that they're sharing, knowing that the the data is being used by the social media company to further its own benefits, right? And right. It's just the exchange. Here, we the the, the data that let's say uh, the, the user of the the parking meter app, their data needs to be completely private and not made visible to the, the city or the municipality that's ultimately running the app. Right. So we wove in that privacy perspective from the very beginning. Right. I, I, like, I, I like to use the phrase privacy native uh, for, for Rockwire. Interesting. And I also like that the, the app that we're imagining for this scenario is a, a parking fee and not a parking fine app. I thought that was a nice touch. I wouldn't, I'd, be, I'd be less inclined to use right. that parking fine right. app. Darn it. Right. These yeah. technologies. Huh. But um, I, I wanted to ask, so it, it seems like there's, there's a particular focus on, on that. Um, what, how does Rockwire handle that? Like, what does it mean to be privacy native? For example, well, yeah. So initially, uh, and in fact, even I would say primarily, we try to keep a user's data on their device. You try to keep a user's data on the device. Okay, now what is on that? On their mean? device. So let's take our COVID app, for example. Mm -hmm. So uh, on the Rockwire platform, uh, a number of different COVID, COVID. Uh, testing and management apps have been deployed, including one here at the university, mm -hmm. uh, say for Illinois, um, but also at various uh, other institutions like uh, University of Wisconsin, University of Nebraska. Uh, for these COVID management apps, uh, let's say you get tested 
uh, and there is a, a result you get positive negative as to whether you have whether or not you have COVID. Right. So that determination comes from a lab, uh, and then ends up getting encrypted, and then stored on your device. So mm -hmm. no one else has seen that result, and that result is not stored anywhere except once it's off the lab system on your device. Okay. okay. So now uh, any decisions that have to be made are only made with your device involved. So for example, you know, entryway into a, a university building, which uh, you're at the University of Illinois, there was a color code on your, on your status card the determination of that color code and all the logic that goes in into determining whether your code should be uh, let me in the building or no, you can't go in the building was all done on your device. It never went into the cloud. Your, your test status was never decrypted anywhere except for on your device. That's an example. Got it. Got it. And it, it strikes me as I, you know, try to wrap my head around some of these technological issues, as I'm sure many of uh, our audience members um, may as well, um, that this could boil down to, um, you know, marketing. Like you might have the best privacy centric tech in town, but if you can't convince people of it and you can't make it make sense to people, so they say, oh, that's the that's the Rockwire thing or that's the, the app that's built with this technology, um, then it might not necessarily garner the kinds of trust that you would hope um, that would drive adoption. Um, I'm kind of curious, uh, how do you bridge the gap between, you know, uh, how do you help people understand that's a yeah, that's a very loaded question. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I have the answer to this. Right. Uh, coming back to my previous point about understanding the customer. Right. Uh, right. Anything you you, you want to make successful, I think you really need to take the perspective of the customer uh, or the user in this case. Um, I think privacy means different things to different people. Uh, maybe I'll ask you. Uh, what, what does privacy mean, right, uh, to you? Yeah, good question. Um, I think of privacy um, <laughs> as like, like in the context of an app or a website or, or something where I'm, you know, clicking the user agreement where I'm, you know, signing away my soul. I think, um, okay, I hope this doesn't come back to bite me uh, in the ass in some way, either because some sensitive information of mine gets stolen and now someone can, you know, do something malicious to like my, you know, reputation or my, you know, my credit score or they can steal my money. Um, but, but then also, I guess there's the, the, the personal aspect of it that is, um, you know, I hope that uh, someone doesn't know something about me that I think is, you know, too sensitive or too personal that I wouldn't want someone to know about me. I guess those are the kinds of ways I think about, I think about privacy. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense. Uh, you know, I think we're always concerned about what are, what are we uh, leaking with these apps that could, uh, you know, eventually bite us in the ass, you know, uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I tend to be a little private, 
myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, So whenever, you know, my wife or my kids take pictures uh, uh, and, and they're put on Facebook, I don't stop them, but I often worry, well, what kind of arc will this particular image take? Hmm. And who will see it? And how will it get resurrected in some way down, hmm. down into the future, right? I mean, I think that's a real, uh, a real uh, issue, right? As, uh, as images get shared on these, on these networks and they're right. auto-tagged and people know who you are, right? Right from the image. Right, right. Um, but then... You know what? What really matters to people? I don't know. I, I, you know, I think there's a wide spectrum of things here from a right. privacy perspective. Do you think that the world would be better if we could just get over that? <laughs> like our our kind of um, you know innate apprehension about other people, like knowing stuff about us or seeing us seeing us in certain lights. You know, thinking about like the arc that your picture might take online. Do you think that the world would be better if we could all just get over that? I sometimes think about that, like not in a yeah. serious way, but then maybe in like, okay, but also maybe like if I could just be a little bit more comfortable publicly, I wouldn't have to worry so much about you, like these privacy related issues. There's still the data security thing, right? But but like, you know, my financial information and my logins, I mean, that's one thing, but then the, the personal side of it, I, I sometimes wonder about. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great, like, let's think about different societies, right? Uh, um, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm familiar with the, the society that my parents grew up in, which I did not uh, back in India, where I think things were shared a lot more openly hmm. about that, the way anyone led their life than in than in this country. Um, so I don't know. Here we have an appreh- I I have a personal apprehension a, a, a apprehension towards sharing too much. Right. Uh, I don't know if I'd feel comfortable in a place where everything was shared about me. Right. Uh, And I I don't mean like maybe not everything, but I mean, I I think that it's, you know, you can also strive to uh, feel more comfortable or feel more secure. I think this is, this is something that probably a lot of people think about. It's something that I think about, like, you know, how do I feel, you know, more comfortable, um, putting myself out there, uh, letting more information about myself be known. Um, but yeah, I kind of wonder about that, that side of it. But isn't the beauty that you can, you know, you're not, you can do whichever one you want. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, you, oh, go ahead. Um, but, you know, I, I was going to ask you, um, you know, because you have a, uh, 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 let's, a project involving Rockwire, uh, where, again, given all these privacy measures that we're putting into the in, into the uh, into the project uh, and again keeping it civic oriented uh, you know I think it's a powerful tool for us to build the future the smart cities smarter mm-hmm. communities mm-hmm. And, and the project you and I have together is around helping communities address community violence right right. Uh, and I, I think I love this project in the sense that it's it feels real and it feels potentially impactful. But I also feel at moments like there's no piece of technology that can help <laughs> address this particular right. thing. Right. 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 
Yeah. Um, so I, I think uh, I have a lot of feelings about the project as well. Um, a lot of it is excitement um, because I think it is a really cool project. And so obviously we've partnered with the city of Champaign. We're using that partnership um, to try to work with them and all of the different service providers and community members who are in Champaign-Urbana to create these integrated and digital tools that can help reduce community violence. Now, we don't know what that looks like quite yet, um, but I see that the technological utility is, is kind of... Um, augmenting what people are already doing. So we don't want to reinvent the wheel and create some totally new, you know, service. You want to try to leverage the technology, the, the service providers that are already out there doing work. You want to work with um, the city rather than create something that's totally new uh, alongside them. Um, and so I see it more as, you know, it's not going to help solve the problem. Um, but what it will do is, change or supercharge the kind of efforts that are potentially being done right now. Like that's the, like I'm not saying that that's inevitable, but that's like the hope I think, right? Um, the technological side is an interesting sell, I think for the project. And I see the utility of, of what Rockwire is there. And you can, you can correct me if, uh, if you feel something different, um, that, there are lots of different service providers and the city is one of them. Um, but, you know, we look at organizations in town that are that are working uh, in the violence reduction space, um, you know, and a lot of them are, you know, places that maybe aren't even directly related, like Champaign Parks District, right, is in a lot of ways the violence reduction space. Like they're giving people a place to to enjoy their time to build, you know, social connections with others, um, to develop new hobbies and new interests. And in a lot of ways you could argue that is violence uh, reducing. Um, but a lot of these organizations and service providers, um, they collect data and it is siloed a lot in the way, like you were describing it is siloed on a university campus. Like a lot of the, you know, the, the technology um, that they're using to collect that data is, is maybe out of date. Uh, it's different for every service provider. So you have to, you know, try to make, I think of it like um, different kinds of USB plugs that don't necessarily connect with each other, right? And you have a kind of tangled mess. Um, and there's also the, the privacy component to it as well. Um, because maybe you're going to ask, you know, you're, when you're dealing with, um, you know, violence and maybe even gun violence in particular, you might be asking people questions um, or you might be interfacing with data that people are extremely concerned about in terms of privacy. So you need to have a way to, that can, you know, technologically augment the work that's being done here in Champaign. And you need to do it in a way that is highly uh, concerned with preserving people's privacy and more I mean, just as importantly, I think, um, building and maintaining their trust in, in the technology that, that you have. And that's, there's lots of different facets of that trust. I mean, there's, you know, do I think that the, you know, technology itself is helpful? Uh, do I think that, you know, it's, it's got my best interest in mind. I mean, those are almost completely separate, um, concerns of trust, um, compared to, you know, is it going to really preserve my privacy? Like, is my data going to be leaked? Um, yeah. And we're not really sure exactly what the intervention point is. We're, we're still kind of doing the preliminary research and thinking about the opportunity areas. But I, I see it as being potentially very useful um, in connecting desperate data streams, allowing service providers that have been working, um, you know, 
I, basically, it'll, I see it as allowing them to collaborate maybe better because of the connectivity that Rockwire allows. Um, but that's my two cents. Got it. Got it. So right now, do you think the, the most beneficial touch point is uh, something for the service providers uh, that are working at the ground level? Uh, to address the uh, particular community's needs. Right. Yeah. Uh, in the form um, of communication, or do we not know yet? Or what do you think the, the opportunities there are? Oh, wow. Um, it's a it's a huge question. The The Siebel Center, uh, who we're partnered with, the Siebel Center for Design here on campus, they've been helping out with a lot of the, the process as we go through what are essentially a lot of qualitative interviews, just kind of conversations that we've been having with uh, service providers and individuals in the community to understand just what their experiences have been and, and what their needs are. They would caution, you know, you shouldn't guess at this point because you have no idea and, you know, trying to make a um, a guess as to what the particular thing is you're going to build will, you know, kind of bias you down the line. But we have a few opportunity areas, I'll say generally, that, that we're kind of thinking about right now. One area does have a lot to do with that connectivity. So you'd be able to create better wraparound services for individuals who have been affected by or might be affected by community violence. And what I mean by wraparound services is that you you kind of provide that individual or that family everything that they need to get over that situation. So there's, you know, the, there's the organization that helps maybe provide um, people with housing uh, who have been affected, you know, because they're not feeling safe where they're at right now and they need to relocate temporarily. There's the organization that maybe helps if, if they, um, you know, are food, in, uh, if they struggle with food insecurity, then there's the organization that can help connect them to, um, to, to food and, and access to meals. Um, there are organizations that will help with education. Um, and so you look at like an issue that says systemically created um, and deeply entrenched in what's going on in people's lives is violence. And you really need to have a lot of different things um, in place to elevate those uh, those individuals who have been affected out of that situation um, and, and to help make sure that the cycles kind of come to uh, an end. And that can't be done with, I, I think no one would argue that can be done with any one thing, right? I think the more and more you read up into it, you realize that it's a, it's a tangled and complicated web. So a lot of the, um, I, I think, really successful uh, interventions have been, you know, ones that focus on these wraparound services that really try to cradle, you know, the individuals and, and handle all of their needs and kind of get them to a qualitatively different place than where they were before. Not just like moving, you know, you know, this little performance on one outcome, like, you know, their, their being or, you know, their, are they, are they, um, how many nights a week um, have they been homeless versus in stable housing? Like you're really kind of moving the individual through all of those things simultaneously. And it seems to me like if you can create an app that allows for these different organizations to share data, um, to understand each other's outcomes, to kind of get them um, rowing all in the same direction, um, and kind of focused on that shared outcome, then you have a lot of potential because the need for that kind of data and infrastructure um, um, 
is really, really high in, in the community. So that's one opportunity area that really comes to mind, um, you know, in part because of the conversations we've had so far about what Rockwire is and what it can do. Um, I think another... That's- uh, sorry, uh, that brings up a point. Yeah, go ahead. You know, now, now having been involved with, I would say, I don't know, five or six different rock wire use cases, um, you know, you bring up something really that feels to me like an emerging theme, uh, this wraparound service, mm. uh, which, you know, if you look at it, it seems like, well, that's simple, really. That's, but it's so essential, you know, in the in the COVID world, uh, providing a wraparound service around, uh, you know, where you should get tested, mm. when you should get tested, mm. how, how frequently, uh, and then if you become positive, what should you do as your next steps? You know, in the, in providing, a, I'm not exactly sure if that's what you meant by wraparound service, but like a point of information that's very concrete and clear and definitive uh, it's just so hard to provide. And I think that simple thing that Rockwire can deliver uh, adds so much value. I've seen it a number of times. Right, right. Um, I, I think uh, that another area that, that could potentially be um, um another area that Rockwire, the unique technology that it, it, it employs could be developed and, and used is uh, in the area of um, conflict mediation. So thinking about ways in which you could use the technology to build off of the service providers to, um, you know, reach out when they feel like, you know, they're in some kind of need um, and to connect them to the service providers, the individuals. I mean, thinking about it as a way to kind of build social capital, right? Because we don't think that the, the solution is going to be, you know, a technology. We think that what will happen is the technology will help um, amplify the services that are already being rendered and help build the social capital that's really important, right? You're not going to swap out, you know, the, the human bonding and the social ties for technology, but you can use the technology to facilitate more of those kinds of meaningful connections, be they in the context of conflict mediation, hey, I have a beef, like I need to, to reach out to someone who can help me get through this, or just in terms of developing meaningful social connections that will help, you know, engender a new sense of how people see themselves. Um, you know, I'm, I'm learning, I'm playing basketball, I'm a teammate. Uh, I am someone who is a rock climber. I like to do this with my time. Um, something to help connect people to those kinds of things where they feel like they belong uh, and where they really can identify uh, with a sense of, you know, who they are in a, in a productive and, and a healthy way. Um, but uh, we've actually, unfortunately, run out of time already. Such a bummer. Um, I feel like we could talk uh, about this for, for so much longer, but um, any, any final thoughts, Sanjay? I know you must be a, a really, really busy guy, so I, I really appreciate you uh, coming on and chatting with me today. Well, uh, you know, Pete, thanks for being a adoptee of Rockwire. You know, it's, uh, it's been really fun, you know, working with you uh, over the past few months uh, to bring Rockwire into another, into another realm, uh, you know, for addressing community violence. Uh, so 
thanks for that. And also thanks for you know having me on the podcast. I'm yeah, sure. of course. Of course. Uh, like I said, I could talk about this for a lot, lot longer. So we might have to have you on for a round two, if, if you don't mind being yeah. pestered. I don't. In fact, we should do it right at the, uh, you know, once we have some concrete outcomes from our project together. I think that would be a great. great update, actually. That's a great idea. Yeah. Okay. Well, you can't right. uh, back away from it now. It's It's been recorded, so um, you can't ever <laughs> back away from it. So thank you, uh, Sanjay, again. Pleasure talking with you. See you, Pete. Bye-bye. Bye.